Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the evening service. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. So I'm going to be reading Philippians, um, page 1190. I'm going from chapter 4, verse 1 through to the end at verse 23. So that's page 1190. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with you, Doya, I plead with Sinji, to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, True companion, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanks, giving praise, your request to God. Present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover... As you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account." I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Ephoditus the gifts you sent. 
They are fragrant offering and acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus, the brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Hi, evening everyone. Uh, lovely to see you all. Um, thanks so much for coming and joining us. Um, if you've got a Bible near you if, or on your phone, do open it up. We're, we're going to just raise the lights in the house a tiny bit more so you can, you can follow. Um, uh, but we're going to be focusing just mainly on a couple of verses there in that chapter of Philippians this evening. What is the secret to happiness? What's the secret to happiness? When you're a preacher and you're sort of slightly struggling with your introduction, what you do is you reach for your quote book. And uh, as I did so, I discovered some would say the secret to happiness is moderation. Happiness is a way station between too little and too much. That's Channing Pollock. I don't know exactly who he is. I'm sure someone's got, someone knows. Others would say it's about minimizing responsibility. This was a good one. The formula for complete happiness, said author Alfred Edward Newton, is to be very busy with the unimportant. The American journalist John Gunther suggested it was all rather more straightforward. He said, all happiness depends on a leisurely breakfast. If you keep flicking through the quote books, uh, you find some pretty bleak assessments too. Happiness, that's nothing more than good health and a poor memory. That one goes to Albert Schweitzer. And I put the, the book down after reading the, the 10th century Emir of Cordoba, Abd el-Raham, I'm sure you're familiar with his works, who claims that diligently numbered the days of pure and genuine happiness I have which have fallen to my lot. After 50 years of peaceful reign, he said those days amounted to no more than 14. 14 happy days in his life, poor soul. Well, whatever the answer is, what we can certainly say is however hard it is to answer, we're probably all interested in it. Who doesn't want to be happy? But what is it? What is the secret? What is it for us, particularly as Christians? Is it moderation? Is it minimization? Is it just commiseration with one another about how miserable it is all, all generally? And has our faith got anything to say on the subject? I mean, is happiness even a good thing? Or is happiness somehow not quite the sort of appropriate thing to be thinking about as Christians? Is it a big thing? Is it just a distraction? Can we expect it? Can we go after it? Does happiness even matter for Christians? Well, the word happiness um, itself is not something you're going to find very often in the Bible, but it, its close cousin, joy, you see a lot of. And if you've been here in the last couple of weeks, and if you know this book, the, uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians, you know it's all over the book. But to some extent, in our studies in Philippians, we've just been skirting around the edges of what the Bible, and therefore Christians, should think about joy. And so in this last sermon series, I want to try to get into the middle, the core, if you like. And that core is going to be found 
in just uh, a few verses that I want to focus on. It's there in verse 4. And frankly, it's just a section of it. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. And I hope to show how those few words, those four words, serve as the basis for anything else that we would have to say on the subject of joy as Christians. And I'm praying that together we can come to an understanding that in Christ joy is actually possible, that it's available to each believer, and that we would be moved not just to look for it, but that by God's grace we would come to expect it in our lives. And uh, partly because this is a sort of summarizing moment, and partly because if you go to any church, they're forever preaching on verses sort of five to seven all the time. We're just going to focus on that one verse uh, and try and make the most out of it. And I'm going to try and expand it a little bit by looking at what the Bible in general, particularly the New Testament, says on the subject of joy, and then asking a few questions of that at the end. The basic point I want to make uh, this evening is, is this. The Christian life is is a life of joy. It's a life of joy in the Lord. The Christian life is a life of joy in the Lord. By the time we get to this chapter, chapter 4 of, of Philippians, the Apostle Paul, he's been writing this letter, he's, he's mostly giving general instructions to his readers about their, their daily duties and the experience of the Christian life. And it's a bit of a surprise when he gets to this section and this instruction comes out rejoice in the Lord. Like, this is something you have to do. And there are at least three things about the way that he says this that makes us think this is probably quite important. First, he qualifies it in a strange way, and then he repeats it. And then if we just think a little bit more about the experience of the listeners, we realize this is a surprising and profound thing to say. So first of all, he qualifies it. Uh, Rejoice in the Lord, verse 4, always. Rejoice in the Lord, always. It's quite a command, isn't it? Not just rejoice now, but you know, in a moment, it's not going to be that bad. Basically, you Philippian Christians, just all the time, I want you to rejoice. Apparently, joy is going to be an ongoing, everyday kind of all of the Christian life thing. Are you sure, Paul? Are you sure you really mean it? Well, keep reading. He repeats it. He says, he even tells us he's repeating it. Verse 4, I will say it again. Rejoice. Now, momentary parenthesis. These letters were written with an amanuensis, right? So Paul would be kind of speaking, and someone's writing it down. (laughs) And, you know, you could sort of imagine this, rejoice in the Lord always. And the guy's writing it down over here. And they said, rejoice. I've I've written that bit that's already written down. I I had that line. No, I I want you to say it again. You want me to write down that you, you say it? Okay. He really, really meant this. He repeated it. And finally, and it, I think it's good to remember this, think of the experience of the listeners. I don't know, if you've, if you've been coming these last couple of weeks, you will have realized with me that life was not easy for these Philippian Christians. Chapter 1, verse 30, you flick back if you, if you have a Bible in front of you. He tells them, remember he's writing from jail. He says to them, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now here that I still have. So life is clearly pretty difficult for these guys. And yet he's still saying, rejoice. Now that is intriguing, isn't it? What is this like? Well, here's what it's not like. Let's say we're playing Monopoly. 
right? And things are not going so well for you, but you're playing at my house, and you know about the house rules, which is that whenever you get a fine, the money goes in the middle, and if you land on go, you get all the money in the middle, and you just landed on go. You were sad before, and now I'm like, you just got like 2,000 pounds. Rejoice, be happy. Your circumstances have got better. We all understand that. It's not that kind of a one, though. The Philippian circumstances are apparently not particularly good. And yet he's still saying to them, you should rejoice. What kind of joy is this? Paul must believe that even in the worst of circumstances, somehow there is some essence to the Christian life that enables us to be joyful. Simply being a Christian leads, even in really hard circumstances, to joy. Now, if you're anything like me, you hear that and you think, how? Sounds like a great idea, but tell me about this. How? Well, I guess the first clue that we get about how that can be possible is in the second half of the phrase. He says, rejoice, but note what comes after it. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. So Paul's not just saying to his re- listeners, look, I know you're a bit, you know, life is a bit, you're a bit miserable, but, but just pull your socks up and just get happy. He's saying there's, there's a particular thing to be happy about. Something that is so essential to your lives, your Christian faith, that pretty much in any circumstances, you can find joy. He wants them to rejoice in the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Which is why I think this phrase, little phrase here, rejoice in the Lord, is something we can apply to really any phase of the Christian life. Somehow, somewhere in each phase of the Christian life, there is joy to be found. In the Lord. Now, before we explore that, I guess we're still at the the stage of asking questions here. I wonder whether that's your experience. I wonder how, how, how you feel hearing those words. Does that just raise a whole lot of questions for you? I mean, I'd love to speak to you about this afterwards if if your questions aren't answered, or perhaps speak with those around you. It's a good question, isn't it? And if not, What might be going on there? Well, here are four questions I think that these verses certainly make me ask. Number one, are you sure? Like bluntly, Paul, are you really sure that joy can be part of the Christian life? Number two, okay, if there is joy, where does that joy come from? Number three, how do I get hold of it? How do I experience it? And finally, number four, but what if I still don't feel it? So let me just deal with each of those. Are you sure, first of all? I imagine a few people here whose instinctive reaction to the summary statement, the Christian life is a life full of joy, is basic skepticism. No, it's not. People for whom the ideas of joy and being a Christian, they just don't naturally connect. Perhaps that's your idea of you know, religion in general. It doesn't really connect with, with joy. The only power a God can teach, said the embittered atheist, George Bernard Shaw, is the power of doing without happiness. He seemed to think religion was always going to make people miserable. Or perhaps you call yourself a Christian, but but you feel at some level, deep down in your soul, you've got to kind of embrace a little bit of that kind of medieval type of spirituality. 
somehow deep down you feel Christianity at the sharp end, at least, if you're really doing it, should be kind of, you know, camel hair and locusts and staying sober and looking pained on the Via Dolorosa or, you know, that kind of thing. And that seems to clash a bit with the idea of joy, doesn't it? Or perhaps, you know, you've read your Bible quite thoroughly and you know following Jesus means following a crucified saviour and that's everywhere. He gave plenty of warning about the life of his disciples that was going to involve suffering. And, and so you thought about it quite hard and you think, how does that fit together with joy? Well, here's the thing. I think even as those, that, particularly that last idea is quite true, as I understand the scriptures and as I read them, I think we still can't get away from this idea of joy. This verse is not an exception. This is not a singular needle of joy in the vast haystack of biblical misery. There is, there is loads of it. Uh, the theme is all over the Psalms, for example. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Psalm 32. One of 83 occurrences in the whole of the book of Psalms alone. Isaiah says, you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The prophet Habakkuk, I will rejoice in the Lord, he says. And then when the birth of Jesus is foretold, what happens? Loads of joy. And the primary emotion of Jesus' disciples at the resurrection is joy. As the church grows in the book of Acts, it describes them above all as full of two things. Number one, the Holy Spirit. And number two, joy. Now, don't mishear me. The Bible is also insistent that there is suffering for the Christian. We don't want to deny that. But whatever the Bible teaches about suffering, apparently it comes alongside some essential joy. There is a joy that no hardship can overcome. The joy, for example, of, a, of the Apostle Paul. When he was back in Philippi, um, I don't know whether you, whether you remember what happened. Acts 16, you can read it another time. Um, and basically, he's been beaten up, and he finds himself um, in prison with his friend Silas. And do you remember what he's doing? Sang. He sang, says our musician. That's right. He was singing in prison. So Paul knew that. Back and blue from another day's beating, and yet there he is singing. So the Christian life is somehow a life of joy. Not the joy of fleeting happiness. You know, it's not momentary pleasure, not like sort of, you know, what you get from a good joke or a fresh cupcake or the moment you land a scrunched up piece of paper in the bin from 20 yards, that kind of thing. There's some deep joy. Something concrete. Something, dare I say, even quite serious and yet recognizably joyful. Christian life is a life of joy in the Lord. Well, now I guess we're, we're wondering, well, okay, fine. Let's say it is. Where does it come from? Show me, where does it come from? Well, back to our verse, verse 4. Rejoice, says Paul, in the Lord. The joy that we find has its source in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is there in the Lord that brings us joy? Well, let's have a bit of a think. Let's itemize. There's a joy of anticipation, of looking forward. You know, we love to look forward things, don't we? we? We love to look forward to a party or a holiday or a day with someone we love. And in the Lord, we have that kind of joy. 
to. In him, we look forward to a wonderful future with Christ. If you're a Christian, you know, for, for some time, things may be quite hard. Things may go badly. Indeed, at times, things may go really badly for us as Christians. But those are small matters compared, in comparison, that things will ultimately go wonderfully well in eternity. And I say they're small matters, not because they're insignificant, but just because the future joy is so much greater. So there's that joy of anticipation. There's also the joy of validation, of the joy of reassurance for ourselves. Have you ever had that real miserable situation when, you, when you've worked really hard for something uh, and the boss said, yeah, actually, we don't really need that? Uh, on the other hand, when, you, when you've bust a gut for something and you weren't really sure, is this going to be worth it? And then it turns out it really was worth it. I'm just so pleased you did that. It's just what you needed. And that kind of joy we find in the Lord too. So right now, we, we try to live obediently for Jesus. And he speaks to us through his word to let us know that we're not just aimlessly drifting through the seas of time, but the things that we're doing for him, they matter. They have a purpose. Jesus actually said, look, the things I, I speak to you in the world, the things I speak in the world, I speak them so that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Just this joy of validation, Jesus speaking to us about our lives. There's a joy of participation, of sharing. I wonder whether you ever come into a room full of, of rejoicing. Perhaps you're at work and some project was finished um, or your students got their grades or he asked her and she said yes. And, and you hear all these reasons for joy and, and all of a sudden you get swept up in it. Joy shared is always joy multiplied like that, isn't it? Well, God rejoices in himself. The father says of Jesus, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And he and his whole heavenly audience are rejoicing. And they rejoice over you and every single person who comes to faith. And so if we're in a relationship with, with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're, also, we're being drawn into that relationship of joy. And here, I think, is where the most important truth lies. There's, there's joy in the stuff that God does for us. But the greatest joy of the Christian life is actually just knowing God himself. Now, if you've ever loved someone and been loved uh, in your life, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. When, when you love someone, it's, it's, it's not what you can get out of them, the companionship or the patient listening ear, wonderful things that they are, whatever. You're just thrilled about that person themselves. And so it is with us in, in our spiritual lives. Our destiny, we're heading to the new heavens, the new earth, and the picture that we get in the Bible of that, actually, is a picture of marriage. A marriage where God is the bridegroom and we, the church, are the bride. And that tells us that basically that the greatest cause of rejoicing in eternity, the focus of all our joy is going to be personal. That the one we love will be with us and we with him, God himself. And in the meantime, Paul says here in Philippians, we want to foster that same attitude of joy right here, to be, if you like, just enchanted with the Lord. Now, what does this mean? Well, I, 
This what it means is Christian joy is not an exercise in manipulating our perspective. You know, it's not about saying, well, you know, actually today was really quite miserable, but just think, you know, I could have lost a number of limbs and had a car crash as well, and then it wouldn't, you know, and then, oh, look, it's not so bad. It's not like that. It's not that we just moderate our expectations as Christians and then we're not so disappointed. And Christian joy isn't just mere optimism. And that's important because, frankly, life is not always bright. It is sometimes quite dark. No, Christian joy is kind of, it's real and it's concrete and it's based on knowing the Lord and the Lord himself. And that's why Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And this is a guy who is going to spend the rest of his life in prison. He's lived this and he knows it's possible. Well, finally, one more question. Um, how, do I, how do I get this joy? How do I get hold of that joy? Uh, sorry, two more questions. This, this one and then one very brief at the end. How do I get this, how do I get this joy? Well, you read the, read the scriptures and it seems it's, it's, there's a kind of battle, but there's also a gift, right? A, a battle on, on one land. There's a command to rejoice. If you get commanded, you obviously have to, you have to do something. We have to fight for it. There's a mental struggle. And that's because there are always reasons that our joy is kind of being obscured. Have we got any channel swimmers here? No, okay. If you do, it's fascinating talking to channel swimmers. One of the things I discovered from chatting to a channel swimmer is um, you, you, you always swim with a pilot who steers a boat, right? And if you want to swim the channel and you don't want to swim four hours longer, necessary, then your pilot needs to guide you very carefully. And basically, because of the tides, you've got to hit the uh, Cap Greenay specifically, this kind of headland. And because of the tides, you move all the way this way for a while, and then you come all the way back. And if you lose your nerve halfway here and start pointing at where you want to aim for, you end up a very long way down there, and about seven hours later, only get to, to the beach. Sometimes it feels like France is getting further away. And you have to really trust your pilot at that moment. And the same is true for our Christian joy. We've got to really trust Jesus, our captain. Trust him that we are closer now than we were when we first began. So there's hard work, but it's also a gift. As so many of us know from seeing spiritual titans survive hardship with, with, with joy, it's something God seems to have just given. So even as we seek joy, we seek it on our knees. Lord, please give me this joy. This guy in the, your book, he seems to have found it in extraordinary circumstances. I want that. But finally, what if I don't feel it? What if I don't feel it? Let's say we say, okay, fine, I understand. Paul talks about joy. The Christian life is supposed to be a life of joy. But I don't feel it. Does that mean my faith is deficient? Now, here we want to be really careful. We don't want to gloss over ignorance or, or sin. But we really don't want to be weighed down by unrealistic expectations either. Why do I say it like that? Well, I guess we've got to be honest, sometimes a lack of joy, in some cases, it, it does, it requires repentance. 
all, in all of our lives, I guess there are moments we've had no joy in the Lord because, frankly, we've just refused to go to him. We've ignored him. We're just not interested. And at those times, we need to repent. We need to come back. Sorry, Lord, I was looking for joy elsewhere, and I'm, I'm coming back to you. Sometimes that's where we are. But it's really catastrophic to employ that every Christian who's not experiencing joy, that that's somehow connected with, with sin. Because there are all sorts of reasons that are quite unrelated to our own sin, that we might not feel any joy. Um, our bodies and our minds are, are broken, aren't they? At different times and different circumstances, they, they let us down. So we may need medication. We may need counseling. And it's, of course, vitally important not to attribute you know, a chemical imbalance in our bodies to something that we've just done wrong. That's just what it's like being in a body that is not perfect. So what do we do then? What, how, can we, how can we live at those moments when we don't feel it? Well, certainly, the answer is not to be hypocritical and just try and put a you know, bright face on it while we're gloomy inside. And there's certainly much more to be said than I can say now. But let me just say this. Let's learn to look really closely at ourselves. One pastor put it like this. He would say, he said, first, I would say a Christian, no matter how dark the season of his or her sadness, never is completely without joy in God. And I mean by that, that there remains in their heart the seed of joy in some form. Perhaps of only a remembered taste of goodness and an unwillingness to let the goodness go. Or, even more fragmentary, the joy may only lie there in the cellar of our soul, in the form of a kind of penitent sadness that we cannot desire God as we ought. And inside that sadness is the seed of once we want, what we once knew of joy. So when the darkness will not lift, let's hold on to that remembered taste, that seed of joy, anticipating the day when our minds and bodies will be fully restored to the awesome joy of perfect fellowship, rejoicing forever in the Lord. Well, there's much more we could say on this subject, but that will do uh, for this evening. I'd love us to just take a moment of quiet now, perhaps with our Bibles open and our hearts turned to the Lord to bring to him whatever thoughts these verses have stirred in us. And then I'm going to close our time together in prayer. So, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would come and minister to us in our souls this evening. Lord, we are reaching out to you, looking for this joy we want to be obedient to this command to rejoice in you always. And we pray that you would help each one of us find that joy in you. Lord, for those for whom this is completely new, Lord, help us see new and wonderful things about you. Help us to understand and experience your love for us so wonderfully demonstrated on the cross. By your Holy Spirit, help us to experience the joy the deepness of a relationship with you. And Lord, please, for those of us who are struggling, particularly for those where there is almost no joy to be found, 
Lord, come and draw near to us. Reassure us, comfort us with your love. And help us to hold on to those last little strands of that relationship that we have with you in the hope of the day when we will be fully made new. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week. Thank you.